How are you today? No, really, how are you? You! Some of you might be saying, well, here he goes again, another COVID stress sermon. Well, yeah. School years are starting, people are returning to their jobs. Here in Kentucky, we are at a fragile tipping point with this virus. People are still marching in the streets, crying out for justice. The Postal Service is at risk. And, oh, by the way, just to make the rest of 2020 even more interesting, there's an election in November, 71 days away. How are you coping? Not just with your job, no, no, no. Uh, not just with your relationships, no. I, I mean the whole kit and caboodle, as they say. How are you coping amidst this intricately intertwined network of your worry. We're talking about physical, emotional, mental, environmental, financial, occupational, social, intellectual, spiritual worry. All of them connected. All a part of who we are. All being impacted by the world we inhabit right now. Now you, you have a few responses here when I ask this. Well, Brian, I'm fine, you might say. When I lived in New England, I learned that the word fine in New England actually means frickin' insecure, neurotic, and exhausted. F-I-N-E. Fine. Okay, that's a good enough response. Another possible response, well, um, you know, it could just be this. Crickets it is, and maybe that's what we need, because we are still processing just what on earth is happening every single day? It changes every day, so how could we even give an answer on the spot? Another possible response is, well, Brian, I'm fostering practices of deep vulnerability and naming my feelings so I can discover a meaningful way uh, to cope and be resilient, said no one ever. But that's the ideal. That's where we want to be. It's the healthy place to arrive at. This isn't going away anytime soon, the world as it is right now. And a lot of how we are feeling is holding on the belief that, well, it, it'll be over tomorrow or soon, whatever soon means. Now, I'm not saying make peace. No, I, I'm not saying hold on to optimism above all else. I'm a realist. And in being a realist, I believe we need to build up our coping skills more than ever. For many of us, we've been feeling waves of fight or flight response uh, for months now. And a sustained response like that means more stress, more anxiety, more overwhelm, a feeling of being completely fragile. My response during this is I barely sleep. Uh, how is the stress affecting you? There's a lot to pile on here. It's not just fear for ourselves or people we live with, it's fear for others. And I don't know about you, but I am one beach vacation photo away from losing any remaining sense of calm. One more crowded bar photo from a family member and my brain just might fry. There is a collective burden heaped upon many of us. Uh, for example, I fear deeply for many of you and I trust you're doing what you should be doing. And please don't send me a beach vacation photo. And for many of us, we begin coping by doing this. Doom scrolling. Look, another photo of a cousin at a bar. Look, another political article that makes me angry. Look, another thing I need to comment on furiously right now. And look,
another notification. In times like these, the religious response is to double down on practices for resilience and coping. As Unitarian Universalists, we lift up worth, dignity, and a journey toward wholeness. And we are not called to be a people of burnout, anxiety, and unending stress. We are called to practice resilience. And I don't need to share all of the data and what experts say. I've shared before. Give grace. Keep up your connections. Manage stress. Avoid not-so-positive means for coping. Rest. Renew. Practice mindfulness. Sleep. Eat. Talk to other people. So hearing all of this, all of this is just fine and dandy, right? We've heard it before. We know this. We've heard this. I've preached on these things under different banners before, under different topics, especially mindfulness. And I would contend it's a practice anyone can engage with. I think everyone should meditate. 30 minutes a day. Start with five if you're just beginning. It's really easy. Sit, breathe, notice your thoughts, rinse, repeat. There's just a little more nuance than that. But beyond that, and meditation is a great start, what else can you do with all of this information on mental health? on coping, on avoiding toxic habits in our lives during a pandemic. Sure, doom scrolling is uh, a type of uh, mindless activity. It removes us from the here and the now, but are elevated cortisol levels really worth it on a consistent basis? I have to admit uh, that this exploration took me on a wild journey from tarot card readings to Jungian archetypes. And fun fact, my Jungian archetype is the magician. But it also took me to all sorts of self-help, mostly bad uh, help, pseudo-whatever avenues. Academia proved to provide similar information that I had learned before, just with bigger words. And many of the self-help websites each had their own branded method of unlocking your inner power for three easy payments of $39.99. But then I thought about ritual. What rituals could we employ that foster mindfulness? Some activities we could do with our families or alone. What other habits could we employ besides meditation? My journey immediately brought me back to where I started. And then I discovered a fun little book. And you don't have to get it, but it's been an interesting tool to discover that there are possibilities and creative ritual avenues for how we work through our worry, our fear, and our stress. How can we say the words mostly fine and believe them and move ourselves from fine to happy to content or at peace? Sheila Andreen saw this need in people's lives, especially educators, and put together a book called The Creative Coping Toolkit. In it, she lists a handful of practices that families or individuals can try out to develop coping skills or to inspire new practices with that same goal. And so let's explore a few of those. And we begin with one that's close to mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation. We've done this as a congregation before. This is something that we are familiar with here. The goal is simple though, to breathe and to disrupt whatever negative patterns are arising in our lives. Now let's say you're feeling an immense, overwhelming anger towards someone, maybe a certain federal government official that likes to use Twitter a lot. And you want to post that anger somewhere. You want to scream at the next person you see to share this anger. You must express it. And this is where the practice of uh, simple three breaths come into play. In that anger, in that rage, in that desire to shout to the world, stop. And breathe in. And exhale for four seconds. And as you do, 
declare a hope for yourself. Breathing in and out, I hope my anger will not control me. But you're not done yet. Keep breathing. Breathe in. And exhale and declare a hope for someone else. Breathing in and out. I hope my best friend will not be controlled by their anger. And keep going. Breathe in. And exhale. Declare a hope for community. Breathing in and out. I hope America chooses love and peace and community. Not anger and despair and hatred. And so we just keep breathing. Take notice of hope. The wording here is careful. We're not talking about optimism as, you know, uh, persistent optimism. As Cornel West once said, he doesn't believe in optimism, but he does believe in hope. And so we just breathe for hope. The goal here is to cultivate this practice so that it becomes automatic. It'll be hard. It's not easy in the least. Neither is meditation. And I think the label Buddhist applies to me most these days. And there are many times every day where compassion is just out of stock. But we keep practicing. Another practice we can engage is one that I'm excited to try out, but also a little fearful. You've no doubt heard of the swear jar. Every swear word, put a quarter in the jar. That would have never gone over well in my family. All of our money would have ended up in jars throughout the house, even, even now. But here we have the worry jar. Sounds hokey, right? But maybe it's just the right amount of hokey you need to process your worries and your fears. You see, sometimes these practices are absurd because, well, we need something to shock us out of our normal patterns of thinking. If the way we journey into and through our worries, fears, doubts, and sorrows arrives to us in a cutesy little jar or something colorful, another practice that's silly, the results can be surprising. And this is all about disrupting patterns of doubt, patterns that spiral, patterns that prevent us from doing what we know we should be doing. And I imagine there isn't a single person with us this morning that would argue we don't need coping strategies for, brewing, for the brewing mental health crisis around COVID-19. And so here's a simple one. Grab a couple jars or large glasses or vases or boxes or bowls or whatever. And just go ahead and do it. And let's see how this plays out. So here we have a little jar. Nothing special, right? And, you know, I added a little piece of paper to it and labeled it simply enough. Worry. You know, there you go. And this practice can be done alone or with the whole family. Um, you know, really, it's your choice. And what you need to do is get some little pieces of paper. And, um, you know, get a little piece of paper, write something down on it. And this one says, you know, family and friends uh, having risky behavior during COVID-19 and um, posting photos of them at crowded bars and beaches on social media. Yikes, right? Like, this is a big one. Worrying about people you care about when they're irresponsible. And so here we go. Simple enough. That's a worry. That's something definitely worth worrying about. And you drop it in the jar. Boom. There you go. And uh, we could do another one, right? Here's one of mine that's personal for me. Uh, being a minister during a pandemic. Wow. Okay. That's huge. Um, I never imagined that 
this would happen. And this could easily read being a teacher, a parent, a senior citizen, a student, a doctor, a nurse, police officer, retail employee, anything. And um, we drop it in. And we keep doing this until, well, this is what my jar would look like. And here we go, Reverend Brian's worry jar. Um, we're gonna need a bigger jar, I think. So what now, right? Um, either you, you or your loved ones just wrote down all of your worries. Look at, look at these things. There's just so much here. And it's overflowing. And what next? Well, you should let them sit there for a few days. You, you can do that. And you, you can revisit them. You know, you can, you can thumb through them and see what you've written down on here and, and refresh your memory. Um, and really feel them. Let them sink in. You know, the funny thing about worry is that we often treat it like it's something we can easily fix, like, like a mosquito bite. Apply Benadryl, voila, no more itching. We have a worry, quick, I stuffed it in a jar, boom, it's done, it's fixed. But no, 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 here it is, still in a jar, waiting for you. And so let them sit however long you need to. Uh, maybe some worries are too raw to engage right now. But when you're ready, here comes your secret weapon. And behold, it's another jar. Boom, there we go. And uh, uh, right here on the label, it's clear as day. Solutions. Ah, okay, okay. So we kind of just make some room for solutions here. And either you, if you live with family or friends um, or alone, uh, you get to think about solutions now. We often say in our justice work that no matter what we do, however small, as long as we're engaging, it is enough. We want our causes for justice, all the orange ones here are causes for justice, um, however small, um, as long as we're engaging. Um, we want our causes for justice to be accessible, and so too with our worries. And so we begin, you know, here, here's, a, here's a good one, um, a worry I have. No, November going badly, right? And I don't need to tell you about this, what this is all about, but what's the solution to this? This hasn't even happened yet. And the trick here is to ground your solutions in things that are doable within your means right now. And so here's an idea. You know, I wrote on the back, pulled this out of the jar, volunteer for a campaign. Well, there, there we go. See, sometimes we expect our worries to be solved completely, but this one isn't solved. But a solution for right now is enough. This isn't a practice for fixing everything. It's a practice of learning to do enough, of affirming that we are enough. And so we find a solution, however simple it might be, and we drop it in the jar. And eventually, the solution jar will look like this. And, well, here we have it. We have more solutions now. And, of course, you need to know the cycle is going to continue. We're going to keep having worries. And our goal here is to keep thinking of solutions for right here, right now. This next practice I call the Annette Benning practice. Well, what on earth does that mean? Well, if you remember the movie American Beauty, then you probably remember this scene. I will sell this house today. Now, many of us are still spending a lot of time at home, wandering around our homes, in and out of rooms, creating office spaces where there weren't any before, and, well, now some of us are going back to work. Some of us never left work. And I know some of you, upon returning, are wondering why on earth are we having to go back to the office or to this place of employment, wherever you're going? And some of us have other jobs and duties. Stay-at-home parents, retirees, figuring it out, waiting. Whatever we're doing these days, now month five of this pandemic, there is still a great deal of worry and fear and uncertainty. 
And we can be hard on ourselves. Now, I love high fantasy, uh, often identifying with an ironclad paladin forging ahead in a holy battle. But real life isn't like that. Real life is fragile and vulnerable, and our minds are not ironclad. They're gray matter churning thoughts around and around and around and round. And when was the last time a thought pattern kept you awake or kept you down or seized you completely? What Annette Benning was doing in that American Beauty scene is close to the practice suggested here. A practice meant to help remind ourselves that we are enough, we are loved, and we are not alone. Doorway affirmations. Not necessarily, I will sell this house today, but I did a good job today. Or, I was kinder to myself this morning. I got enough sleep. I held an important boundary with someone, and so on and so forth. Every time you cross a doorway, pause and say an affirmation to yourself about yourself. And this isn't manifesting or any of that, but this is just basic human kindness to yourself. Now, isn't it messed up that we need permission to be kind to ourselves? And so go ahead, try it. Find a doorway right now. I'll wait. Or you could just do it right now on your couch or at your table. I'll just keep waiting. Find an affirmation for yourself. And uh, I'll see you in a few moments. I'll keep waiting. You need to say something kind to yourself right now. And so there you have it. These are all things and many others that require practice. They require intent, mindfulness. They're called spiritual practice for a reason. But they're also kind of silly. And it's the silliness that has drawn me to them. For there is joy and silliness and ridiculousness to be found even now, right here. The world will continue to be the world and we have to continue to live in it. And so go ahead, try one of these out. None of them might work for you, but they might inspire another practice. And what is it? I want to hear about what's working for you. We're all in this together for many months to come. Might be years to come. Resilience is a practice. And so keep practicing, dear friends. Blessed be. Amen. I will sell this church today.